<laughs> or that. I mean, if we're, if we're gonna like dream, we may as well dream big, right? <laughs> yeah, I'm going. I'm supposed to go to Lima in a few weeks for like three days. And I just I just took the whole week off. I'm like, you know what? Every time I try to take time off, something happens and I can't. So I'm just like, I'm taking a week off. Things should be calm. I don't give a shit anymore. You're gonna buffer it, and so like they can screw up two of the days, but you still get the others. Yeah, basically. Lima's a funny one to me. I've tried to go multiple times, and every time I had to cancel. This is like my fourth attempt. So we'll see if I make I mean, it. Kodu 4 was one of them. Kodu 4 for Lima? Yeah. There was like a mistake fair that we, a bunch of us had booked to Lima, and then they scheduled the do, and Continental oh. was gracious and gave us all waivers and let us change our tickets. I vaguely remember that. I think I was part of that group. Yeah, you, you were. <laughs> like, we were all going to Lima, and then we weren't. We had to go, and had to. we went to Houston and had a ridiculously good time instead. Yes, broke a plane, you know, minor little things. I didn't break it. I was just in the overhead bin. Someone else was breaking it. I didn't say, well, collectively, we, collectively, we broke it. Yes, None of us did. individually. Collectively, yes. Yes, we did. Yes, we did. Yes, we can. No, wrong, wrong use of that slogan. Uh, anyways, um, so, you can make it work where you stand. The Hyatt Centric in Times Square. While the location is not ideal, the hotel is actually really nice. All right. And I would normally stay at the Herald Square, but I'm, uh, but I'm boycotting them now. Oh, what'd they do to you? They've just like they've just gone really down in service. Uh, they got really snippy last time because they had an issue with my credit card and they're harassing me. Like four hours before I'm supposed to be there, they're calling me and harassing me. Like I'm like I'll be there. I'm like I've stayed there dozens and dozens of times. We've never had an issue. Well, wait, wait. wait. I'm like okay, I'm done. Yeah. So then they got stingy with the breakfast and it's just one thing after another. So they had to turn. They had really good staff and then they had to turn over like 18 months ago and that's when the decline started. Well, note to self, don't stay at the Hyatt Centric. Go to Harold Square. Uh, yeah, Hyatt Harold Square, not the Centric, just the Hyatt. Uh, the Hyatt. Yeah. Uh, um, you want to do a podcast episode then? Yeah, let's do this. You're listening to Dots, Lines, and Destinations, a travel podcast with hosts Stephen Seagraves, Fosma Moon, and Seth Miller. Hello, and welcome to episode 281 of Dots, Lines, and Destinations. I'm Seth, hosting this week, and I am joined by Mr. Fazma Mood. How you doing? I am well, and yourself? I'm doing okay. C- considering the fact that when I edit this, we're going to have done like the hi, how you doing thing four times by the time people listen to it. That was probably a waste. But eh, details. details. It's the first time the people are hearing it. Uh, no, I, think, I mean, by the time I edit it, I was supposed to planning on keeping all that earlier stuff. So we'll see. We could hear our banter. Yeah. Um, it's, you know, it's, like, it's called a cold open, sort of-ish. Anyway. Um, I feel like we talk way too much about uh, the coronavirus and China and uh, airlines collapsing, or not quite, but making cuts, certainly, and on the brink of collapsing. And it gets old after a while, but also new things keep happening. And just today, we're recording this one late. Uh, it's Wednesday this week, so sorry for people that expected it sooner. But uh, like a whole bunch of stuff has happened. I feel like we need to touch on it. Um, and so early in the week, and like last week, late last week, there was talk about the secondary Chinese carriers collapsing mm-hmm. and basically selling them off, rolling them back into the major uh, Chinese airlines, the big three government, uh, central government owned as opposed to like H&A is a regional government owned airline. Um, I'm torn on that one. Like, would it be good? Would it be bad kind of situation? And I don't know. I like, do you have thoughts if we lost Henan Airways? Uh, I mean, 
I don't have any major thoughts. I think the only thought that I have is it's tragic that they go before anybody else simply because they actually have invested the most in onboard experience. Yeah. And like, I guess that's, yeah, I would, I would agree with that. Like these are the airlines that are like, okay, we're the smaller scrap. It's sort of the Avis. We try harder in some ways, right? They're the smaller, scrappier upstarts and they had to do things more and better and different to try to get some of the local traffic. And, um, certainly for me with the Boston base, the smaller carriers are the ones that we get if I want my quicker trips to China or to Asia. So, uh, definitely some challenges there. Um, in the intervening days since that news came up, and it's still not entirely clear what's going to happen, we've had two other sort of shifts. One is uh, virus detection openly sort of spreading badly in Korea and in northern Italy, of all places, um, such that Delta has cut back a bunch of its Korea flights and changed some of its rules. Um, Hawaiian canceled two months worth of flights to Seoul starting on Tuesday. Uh, so a lot of cuts happening there. Uh, and then the Italian thing, like Austria closed its borders briefly to trains, at least. And it's pretty crazy. And I mean, didn't um, Italy lock down some of the towns? Yeah. Uh, it's, I mean, it's surreal to me. It is. What, anyway, yeah. I, what, what I don't understand is like, all this is happening, and you keep hearing like governments and various governmental type organizations saying, "No, no, travel safe. It's okay. Don't worry about it." Like, and we we went we've gone through this a little bit in the past. But like, are these guys idiots, or just definitely trying not to develop a global economic collapse, or something in between? I mean, you know, there is there is an element of over sensationalizing things. Sure, and uh, and uh, we are in a society that loves to over sensationalize things, and because of the immediacy of information being passed, it's also very easy to pass misinformation. Sure, um, and you know if you think back to a different time, like thirty, forty years ago when we were little kids, things like this didn't travel as quickly, and there was a lot less hysteria around anything. But. I will argue, yes, the the news didn't travel as quickly and there's less hysteria, but also the disease didn't travel as quickly because there were there was less interconnectivity, right? I mean, 30 years ago was how many fewer air passengers and they were a much more limited set of people. Uh, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, but, I, I, but, I mean, if you look at what's happened in the last two months, right, there's been a drastic drop in air passengers. Um I mean, like you, uh, as an example, you look at something United San Francisco Singapore flight, right? That's been going out with many empty seats in business yeah. in the last few weeks. That's unheard of. Yeah. No, and we, we've got a listener slash friend who's in, uh, in, uh, no, he's in Changi now. He just made it to Seoul and he had a whole bunch of flights booked. Um, he's sort of, you know, doing a mileage run slash, uh, go fly a bunch of different airlines and, you know, some of them went bankrupt. So oops. Um, but, you know, he was, supposed to go to Hong Kong and then with the new rules for entry into Hong Kong couldn't do that because he was connecting in Korea and got a reroute to Singapore and there's like things like that happening but part of that is that just the uncertainty over like if I plan a trip now or you know even if I had it previously planned like what's going to be open when I get there and am I going to be allowed to come home yeah yeah Um, I mean I mean I don't we clearly have not seen the end of this yeah. We'll see what happens. I mean, this is, and this could be really bad for the airlines at this point, right? Yeah. I mean, it could be, and for a lot of other things, but yes. 
um, we're mostly an airline focused group, but I mean, uh, we also just like tonight while we're recording this had the first confirmed, uh, case in the United States of someone who had not been traveling and had not, uh, otherwise been exposed to someone known to be carrying the virus. So that's exciting. Um, yeah, it, yeah. It, it, we'll see how this all pans yeah. out. Got to see what the CDC can pull off here. Um, I mean, the latest round of cancellations are now into end of April, right? So we got to wonder when the next Singapore's round. Singapore's into May. Okay. Yeah, but but the, bulk, I mean, the bulk of them are now in like all the yeah. U.S. and Canadian carriers are into the end of April. Yeah. But it's just like, you know, it's extending monthly. They're extending it by a month on an almost weekly basis. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, I, I hear something like, right. That's it. Like Hawaiian, when it, they cut their flight, they're, they're giving it a couple of days to wind down operations, which makes sense, um, for the very close bookings. But they're, they, they're not playing around. They're like, yep, we're cutting 60 days off the schedule. March 2nd to April 30th. Done. Like. The only tragic thing of all this is I won't be able to get my last few Narita flights in. Oh. Well, Narita's not closed yet. I mean. Yeah, but the routes that I was hoping to get are, will be gone. Those routes are suspended? Well, no. Dallas, okay. Narita, they, they both switched to Hanada. Uh, yeah. Um, Steve and I were talking about doing that and um, San Jose. Mm. Yeah. You know, they'll probably come back you know, eventually. San Jose, maybe. I don't know. Probably not Dallas. They'll stay at Hanada. Although, I don't know if you saw, I mean, off topic here, but they, they, uh, since they've opened up Haneda more, they had to add additional flight paths over the city to let more flights come in and, you know, increase capacity in the airspace. Mm-hmm. And not surprisingly, people are complaining. No surprise at all. All right. So enough about the virus destroying, you know, the global economy and airfare and everything else. Let's talk about some other travel bits. Uh, if you bring an airline CEO to run a different type of transportation company, such as, I don't know, say maybe a train, what are the odds that the service ends up looking a lot like an airline? Hi? I, I would tend to agree. Uh, Amtrak is going to have non-refundable fares, truly non-refundable, non-changeable fares as of March 1st. So very little advance notice, but uh, they, they are basically establishing, you know, it's we want our users to have the option to buy the super cheap fare, but also to be, you know, able to pay a little more if they need that flexibility. Non-refundable, non-changeable or non... Yeah. Use it or lose it. Okay. And so the, the interesting thing about this Amtrak historically has been so ridiculously flexible on fares. Right. Um, like almost to a fault, but I mean, I've clearly benefited, benefited from it. Uh, it's, it's, it's an interesting one. I mean, it's, I don't know. I, do you think, I guess the real question is, will the fares actually come down or is this just another rate hike masked in the, we're giving passengers what they asked for? A lot are, of bag fees. Are, are people really asking for that? Because, you know, to me, the Amtrak is most, the profitable section of Amtrak is the Northeast Corridor. And I think one of the things that makes that so appealing to people is the flexibility. Yeah. If you take the flexibility away, do you actually push your core customer base away? I bought a ticket the other uh, last week when I had to go to New York. I actually took uh, the Empire service down from Albany and bought the ticket that had flexibility in it, assuming that if I got to the station early, I'd just hop on an earlier train. Mm-hmm. And they were actually all sold out. So I lost that game. Uh, <laughs> ended up having to sit in the waiting room to do my work for a couple hours, which not the end of the world, obviously. I got where I was going on the ticket I bought, but it was a little surprising to me that the trains were full. Um, and even mine was. There was no empty seats. It was pretty impressive. But no, I, I hear where you're coming from, though, in terms of trying to figure out 
you know, what actually drives passengers. And this, you know, is this actually what the people who are buying the tickets need and want, or is this going to destroy what little uh, affinity they had? Yeah. I mean, and it's precarious, a little bit precarious for Amtrak to do that, right? They're always teetering on the verge of insolvency. Yeah. Although supposedly on the cusp of profitability this year, like well beyond, well beyond what was expected in terms of the turnaround time. Well, it's good, but they're, yeah. I mean, it's not like they're, even if they have some modest profit, it won't be a ton. And no, and it's not going to make up for all the losses, but. No, and one little hiccup can cause a, a disastrous like, effect. Say, uh, I don't know, health pandemic? Yeah, exactly. Uh, on the plus side, the new Acela trains, the first uh, set, uh, the first train set was delivered to the FRA for testing on the high-speed rail set. Um, they do that testing in New Mexico? I had no idea, but okay, that makes they sense. Actually, they ha- yeah, you know, somewhere very close to all the other high-speed tracks um, where the trains actually need to be eventually to get used. So they actually, but it's the same gauge the whole way out. So they manufactured it in upstate New York and then basically ran it on like the Lakeshore line. And then I don't know if it's the chief or one of those that goes from Chicago out towards LA and they, you know, sort of got off in New Mexico to do their testing. Wow. Interesting. Nifty, I had no idea. Yeah. Um, what else we got here? Uh, United Airlines streaming IFE on the Embraers, on the little guys, the 50-seaters. Are you excited that you're going to finally get an entertainment system on the Barbie jet? Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> I just want them to go away. Yeah, that's not happening. I mean, so I was thinking about this, and I haven't had a chance to check. Is United still using the original E-145s from the Continental Express order from the 90s? I would assume so. I mean, when did these get replaced? Never. There's nothing to replace them with. But, okay, so that's my point, right? These these flights do very short flights. Yep, long they, these, these planes do short flights. They get pressurized and depressurized a lot. They, a must, they must be hitting life limits. I don't know. I, 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 I see where you're coming from. I mean, you know, the... Yes, with the caveat that there are a bunch parked right now, so presumably... You know, unfortunately, they can just swap out the older ones for slightly less older ones that are the same. But in addition to the IFE, United's putting new sidewall panels and new seats on all the planes. So they obviously think they're going to keep them around for a while. Well, which is ironic because they're doing this at the same time as the 550s. So the 550 is a play to add more 70-seaters. Okay. Right? Um, Those are 70. It was They couldn't do more than 70, so that's why they... Um... Well, yeah. They, well, yes and no. There is a cap on the number of 50-seaters also, if I remember correctly. It's like 90% of the single-aisle fleet. Right. So adding the ninety, adding the 550s does have some impact on the total number of uh, 145s or CR2s that could be flying. But it's not nearly as big a deal as the original 550 play, which was to get more of the 175s into the fleet. So I know the whole, the whole regional thing is a bit of a shuffle right now because Express Jet is getting the the additional is getting additional 145s, but is giving up its 175 operations, sending those planes back to SkyWest. The new the quote unquote new 145s are coming from Trans States, which is part of the Trans States Go Jet and someone else uh, conglomeration and Trans States Airlines, which is a subsidiary of Trans States Holdings, but the airlines arm is going out of business. So goodbye, water ski, which was their call sign. And then the extra 550s are going to GoJet, maybe? 
for Commuter Air. I forget who's operating those. But anyway, there's a whole crazy shuffle going on. It's a real interesting uh, situation. Uh, Cranky Flyer had a good story on it. I'll put in the show notes. Do, do you have a decoder ring for all, the, all these regionals? Because they are so incestuous. Of who owns whom and like when things moved and this and that. And like half of them have spun off from each other and then recombined in a different way. Yeah, like ExpressJet, right? It, it was part of Continental, then they spun it off. Then they it was independent for a while. Then they got bought by, was it SkyWest at that point or? Uh, I think so. And that, yeah, because the 175s that are going to SkyWest are going back to SkyWest because they were SkyWest. And then, like, yeah, the whole thing is a mess. Yeah. <laughs> no, I, I agree. Like, I have to assume that there's a lot of bankers and lawyers that have made money on all these transactions because I can't. The pilots certainly haven't, and the passengers certainly haven't. I, I feel like the regionals are a Ponzi screen scheme. Yeah. So, my real question is what are they trying to hide? Uh, aircraft ownership debt. I suppose. And, you know, Jimmy Hoffa's body? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> All the money made off where I ran off with? I mean, who knows? Yeah. <laughs> um, over the weekend, there were some crazy sandstorms off the coast of Africa, and the Canary Islands actually, like, the airports closed for a Ooh. couple of days. Wow. Yeah, that was crazy. Like, I've been in one of those sandstorms, sort of, in Rome one many years ago, uh, 2001. Uh, in October 2001, we were in a sandstorm in Rome, and like it was raining mud, which wow. is yeah, an interesting experience, but not so bad that they had to close the airports. There were some pictures online of the airports from Tenerife and Gran Canary where like there's literally no visibility, and you know no visibility is one thing, but it's no visibility and the challenge of like the microparticles and stuff in the potentially getting into the airplane engines, which becomes a real problem, right? right. Volcanic ash and sand become glass at high temperatures, and oopsie. Um, so yeah, they had to cancel a bunch of flights and close the airport for a couple hours each day over the weekend. So I mean, Europe is just getting hammered, right? Um, I mean, the, between the multiple storms in the UK, and they, I think they got another one this week. Oh, another like cold weather, rain, wind, whatever. Yeah, because I I left on Sunday and they were expecting one on Monday or Tuesday. Okay. Um, but I mean, there are some crazy diversions that have happened, and it's just been a bit of a mess. That's right. United operated a Gatwick again. Yes. You were jealous of that when I saw it. I was a little jealous. And I, BA ran a 77W from Heathrow to Amsterdam. To clear out the backlog. Yeah. So as I said, Grand Canary, there were a bunch of wide bodies. Someone leased, like the random LCCs that had a bunch of people stuck, leased uh, wide bodies to move ba- passengers out also. So presumably not the same wide bodies that have been evacuating people from Wuhan, but who knows? <laughs> Hopefully not. And they wonder how the virus spread. Now I'm yeah. sure they're cleaning the planes very well. I mean, ish, sure ish. Um, another fun partnership, uh, American Airlines and Qantas Airways have decided to play nice again. Okay. I, I would like to know what the hell is going on at American that they've suddenly done like a 180 degree turn in the last two weeks. Maybe someone started listening to the podcast, our podcast, and heard your complaints and has decided to act upon it. Yeah, I don't think that's realistic. No? No. No. You know, I've been led to believe that some airline employees do listen to us. Well, that's good. I don't think Doug Parker's one of them, but you never know. Doug, if you're out there, give us a call. We'd love to have you on as a guest. <laughs> and I'll behave, I promise. He's lying. Um Anyways, uh, yeah, they have made some significant changes, right? The... Seattle-Alaska partnership is a major change, running long haul again, like trying to pick new and creative markets instead of doubling down on more London service, although one of the new markets is London, uh, is a big deal. And now, apparently, Qatar Airways is, you know, is no longer longer the evil devil, is no longer the devil. And they're hinting at flying to Doha themselves. 
Okay, so there's a couple things going on. And they called it a strategic partnership, not just code shares. Which, I mean, what's going on? So, first off, Qatar Airways already flies to all of the Correct. American Airlines hubs, right? Yep. So, American adding capacity short of a joint venture where they can sort of, you know, collude and share revenues and planning and such has got to be ridiculously dilutive towards loads, I would think. Like adding another Dallas Doha flight seems a little crazy to me. Yes, unless the the demand is there. But is it? Well, that's the million dollar question, right? And I don't necessarily think it is. Uh, but the the counterpoint is, no U.S. airline, I mean, except with the exception of United, right, has very good service into India. Um, and okay. no, nobody has service into the rest of the patch, right? Uh, Pakistan, sure. Bangladesh, um, and then, you know, yeah. all, the, all the countries that currently are banned from having people ever come to the United States. Right. And then also, <laughs> I mean, so the demand profile is pretty low. It's all I'm saying. Well, yes, but there's always demand. There's a lot of, pe- of those people here who want to go back and forth, right? There is a lot, yeah. fair bit of traffic that goes back and forth. And there's, then there's also Northern Africa. Right, a good chunk of Africa is easily connectable. But Casablanca was supposed to fix North Africa. Okay, so it fixes a corner of uh, of Africa. Yeah, but there's still the east east side of east Africa. Africa. Okay, yeah. right. That's that's a really quick flight from the Middle East. So, I mean, it could be strategic in that it gives them coverage in an area where they don't have coverage, and the other carriers don't either. Sure, yeah, I definitely can see that. Right, it definitely does open up some chunks, the subcontinent. Yeah, I mean, it's single connect, so there is convenience there. I guess the question is, how much of that is American going to be able to sell? And the way the code shares are set up and everything, I have to assume if American wants to sell those well, it's got to run a flight into Doha. Like, I can't imagine that Des Moines to Chicago on American followed by, and maybe I'm wrong, followed by, you know, Doha, then Dhaka, both on Qatar Airways Metal would carry American code all the way through, would it? It could. It definitely could. Okay. If they co-chaired, they definitely could. And I mean, it, it's a good time to negotiate with uh, Cutter because they they have been struggling since the embargo. That's fair. So they're probably a little more flexible and lenient. On, but also have plenty of cash. They just bought more of IAG too. Right, but you know they're they're also not trying to run a loss leader from an airline perspective. Well, right, because Italy went out of business finally. Yeah, yeah, that, that was their loss leader. I mean, I guess that. And the interesting thing there is they claimed they were ready to pump more cash in, and that the actual owners were not. They being Qatar Airways, right, as a holding company. Um, well, I think they and, saw opportunity. Right, it is there is opportunity in Europe. That's so hard for me to see. And I, I mean, I get it, but like, there's the massive legacy carriers and there's the massive LCC infrastructure and long haul LCC too from Europe, like from Europe, either to the Middle East or to North America is not a proven success entity by a long shot. And so is there really opportunity there, right? I mean, we've got how many, how many European airlines have gone bankrupt already this year? I know, but when your incumbent airline is Alitalia, there's always opportunity. Yeah, but at this point, your incumbent is technically Alitalia, but also, like, for the short-haul stuff, either trains within Italy or Ryanair and EasyJet and everyone else has shown up and basically, you know, d- done almost everything they possibly can to push Alitalia over the edge. I mean, Alitalia's been bankrupt for two years now, so. Right, but there, there's this ridiculous Italian pride, right? There, there, yeah. Air Italy, where there's a glimmer of hope that the Italian pride would just shift. Um, it's not going to happen now, obviously. Um, but I've been led to believe they really like bankrupt airlines. <laughs> uh, you know, operating or not. 
If, uh, if only they could perfect the airlines like they've perfected their food. I don't even know how to go, how to respond to that. <laughs> is, are you making a joke? Is this a good thing? Is this a bad thing? I'm very confused. I like Italian food. Italian food is delicious. I love Italian food. I'm just trying to figure out how that. Anyways, well, they, they got that right, but I mean, if only they could put that kind of focus on uh, their airline, things would turn just, around. Okay, just need a few hundred more years to figure to, to finish the refinements. How's that for a theory? Yeah, that works. All right. Uh, KLM is finally going to put premium economy on its long haul fleet, wow. joining you know like the rest of the world, except Qatar Airways, of course. Uh, exciting, useful. Do you care? No. Okay. I, the surprising part about that to me is a that they they waited so long to do it, and right, they tried. They had a comfort something product that they called it, which was basically extra legroom for some time. And so fine, they, that, that wasn't selling or wasn't making enough incremental revenue for them. So I'm going to try the real deal. What's really interesting to me about it though is they're saying it's going to be at least a year until they can make a decision on what the product is going to be and how to go forward with it. And I get it, but also like. You've got the Air France KLM organization. Why not go ask your colleagues down in uh, WASI if there's something that did, was useful that they actually enjoyed? And there's plenty of shitty-ass uh, premium economy seats out there, mostly operated by Air France. So I get not wanting to do that necessarily. But you'd like to think that there's some opportunity. I, mean, I would think they just don't want to do that simply because Air France did it. Yeah. <laughs> and efficiencies and whatnot be damned. We're going to like still continue to try to destroy this vaguely useful relationship we have. Well, I mean, in their defense, their their opinion should be: Why should we be following the laggard? Yeah. Well, of the two, KLM has done a better job of managing their operation in all aspects versus Air France, which is just a tire fire. Yes, operationally, and you know they chose a bad premium accounting product, but they had one at least. True, but I mean, what's worse, selecting a bad one or waiting to have picking, waiting it out and picking a better one? Um, fair, probably a little bit of both. Right? I mean, you, the bad one you can still sell the seat at least. How many people? And and in a lot of the markets, they're the only player, and that's what people are going to buy no matter what. But okay, well, I mean, we we've seen this play out before, right? United yeah. and Continental went with life flat seats before everybody else did. And they weren't Delta direct. Waited. They weren't direct aisle access. American Delta waited until they got around to doing direct aisle access to do flats. What was better? I would argue the live flat was better. Even yeah, even though it wasn't direct aisle access. Yeah, right. So that moving first gave them an advantage. Counterpoint. Yeah, but though, but, right, but right, if you right. ask most bloggers, they will say United gets no points, Continental gets no points for having live flats, and that they've been lagging all along. Well, it's not my fault that they're wrong. <laughs> Well, I mean, am I going to ask? Am I going to ask the bloggers, or am I going to ask the business travelers who are actually flying the stuff? That's a good point. But in Europe, our business travelers are actually sitting in premium economy, right? That's that might have been a demand thing, right? If your if your customer base doesn't want premium economy and they're paying for business, why would you rush to put premium economy in? As long as your corporate contracts keep business class, can you benefit by getting a? Uh, slightly increased premium yield from your leisure traveler. I think that's really still the target market for premium economy right now. I don't think it's transitioned to being a business a business traveler product quite as much. I think US-based it is, not internationally based. Okay. I, I, I mean, my current company does premium economy for flights over five hours. My previous company did the same thing. Okay. Well. I guess the, the, the tides, they are changing. Yeah. Times, they are changing. Tides are shifting. I'm going to just mix all my metaphors up right there. Don't worry about it. It's a new business class. Yeah, I mean, it is. In a couple of years, United will rebrand Premium Plus to Connoisseur class. 
Ooh. <laughs> that would be sexy. Yeah. And what is old will be new again. Man, if they bring back kind of surclass, that would be that actually that'd be a bold move. <laughs> Can we get someone working on that? That would be amazing. You heard it here first, folks. I mean, they finally got rid of the term and when they di- uh, when Apollo died, what, 8 years ago? <laughs> There's got to be a way to bring it back. Oh, I'm sure it's possible. I think I got a kind of sort of class deck of playing cards around here somewhere. Oh, I don't have that, but I do have uh, some uh, boarding class, uh, boarding pass envelopes. Nice. I definitely have. I think I have an old United deck of playing cards around here. I, I definitely have some Eastern ones. So anyway, I found. You know what I found recently? A Delta Express deck of playing cards. Whoa! I don't even know where I got those. Wow, that's impressive. Nice. Anyway. Um, so speaking of the what's old is new again and trying to get for a more comfortable seat in the sky, uh, Air New Zealand managed to get all sorts of press this week by filing a patent for sky bunk. And there's something particularly amusing about the use of the word bunk there because it has multiple meanings, one of which is, you know, bed stacked on top of each other and one of which is bullshit. Um, and the concept here is basically bunk beds for economy class. They are teasing that they will put some number of them potentially, eventually, maybe at the back of some of their ultra long haul 787s and that maybe the Newark uh, Auckland flight might have them to allow economy class passengers the opportunity to sleep in a bed rather than in their upright seat during the flight. You buying it? I, I clearly have been very unbiased in my presentation of the topic, but <laughs> are I, you buying it? I, I am buying it simply because they delivered on the Sky Couch. I just don't know if it will do well, just like so, the Sky Couch. Yeah, I guess my argument there is Sky Couch didn't take away onboard seating necessarily. Um, and was, I mean, I guess the question is, what did you have to pay to... Right. If you only bought two of the seats, how much did you have to pay to guarantee that the middle stayed empty so you could use the couchish, right? Um, and things like that. Also, just the logistics of in-flight. You've got this triple bunk thing. It's you know like a seven-foot-long bed, so that's taking away two to three rows of seats, probably two, and they squeeze it in the very back in the middle. Is what I'm thinking. Um, but that puts it right up against a galley and next to lavatory, so not super quiet. And has problems of foot traffic. And like, if I'm climbing into the top bunk, do I disturb the people below me? If and are people going to want to keep buying it because of that? How do you deal with if the seatbelt sign comes on during the flight that they have to get out? Like, how do you get people in and out of there on a time schedule? I, and of course, all this stuff can be addressed one way or another. I get that, and I don't want to be too negative. I just it's a lot of space to take up for something that you know, if your if your average seat is selling for eight hundred bucks a pop, and you've got to take. How many out to put this in? If we say it's two two rows, maybe you're taking six seats out. So how, where do you make up that five thousand well, dollars? How much I, can you sell a two a two hour nap for? You're assuming that the planes are going out full most of the time. Fair. And could they put the beds downstairs? <sighs> could they? Yes. Um you still lose seats for that. Um, do you need a crew member to monitor the space if the downstairs is open? I forget how Lufthansa does that with the labs. Well, down, Are, uh, with Lufthansa, the crew rest is downstairs as well. Yeah, but I'm just, I, I can't remember because I know like the downstairs is closed during takeoff and landing, obviously. Um, I can't remember if there's like a crew member stationed down there for emergency yeah, or anything else. I, I just don't remember. Like. Um, and Thomas Cook is the only other carrier I can remember that had a downstairs lab. They had on the 330s, but obviously they're not doing that anymore because they're not doing anything anymore. Um, 
Yeah, I listen, I would love to see it, I think. That's the other thing is, like, if, if you want to bet, that option exists. Um, it's obviously much more expensive to buy a business class seat, and I get that. But, like, would a three- or four-hour nap be enough? Probably. How much would I pay $400 for a four-hour nap? Probably not. Someone else probably would, though, right? I suspect, I mean, that's still a substantially marginal amount compared to the cost of a business class seat. Yes. So, you know, I'm sure people would pay for it. Yeah. And, you know, like anything else, it'll probably just be part of a bundle or it wouldn't be, might not even be that much. Yeah. I mean, here's hoping. I'm just, the, the sort of the way it was teased in a lot of the uh, early uh, news stories that came out about it this week was like, this is coming to the sky soon. And I'm like, I've been around long enough to know that just because you patent something doesn't mean it ever takes flight much less soon. Hey, we have a better chance of seeing this than Project Sunrise. You think so? Yeah. I mean, we talked about Sunrise last week a little bit, too, in the pilot stuff. What, what, where do you think the challenge is? The pilots or just overall financial? I think it'll be overall financial and demand. Yeah. Right? I, I, yeah, go ahead. I don't think that's – like, I see, Newark, Singapore does not run full. And sort of never did. Exactly. And those one, were two major business markets. Yeah. And at one point, they were running it with 100 seats, and they still did not fill it. Yeah. I mean, the day Roland and I took it, uh, the producer, uh, it was probably half full. And that was normal. So I, I think for particularly with the the further distance and the bigger and the time change, I think it it's not practical for Project Sunrise to really take off. Okay, I or, definitely think we have a better chance of seeing this than we do of seeing Boom Supersonic Flight. Yes, I think that's fair. So uh, that project keeps slipping. By the way, shocking, right. I know, but so shocking. Show yeah, so shocking. Yeah. Anyway, um, anything else you want to talk about this week? I feel like we moved quickly, but we t- covered a whole lot of stuff. Nothing nothing crazy. I'm still surprised mm-hmm. about the E-145s. Yeah, keeping them alive. I mean, that's got to be like a basically a commitment for another five years. Actually, just going back to that, someone was trying to explain to me that like that the there's no other option in the 50-seat jet market. No one's making anything new in that space. So obviously, uh, there's a huge opportunity for a new regional jet player to come in and take that up. And I was like, I don't think so. Did Embraer stop making 145s? I don't think they stopped making them, actually. I think they've slowed down significantly. But I, And if they did, I think they kept the tooling because they could easily start again. But I mean, because um, here's the thing, right? We go through – this is I've watched this a few times in the last two decades where we go through this cycle of we transition from props to all jets. Yep. And then we cycle back because the props are either cheaper to get or operate different – have different operating requirements and don't interfere with mainland as much. Yeah, and then we go back to jet. So I'm wondering if the next iteration is we'll go back to props. Well, essentially, you mentioned that Silver Airways has always been props, but they were mostly Sobs, the 340s, and is switching to the ATR now. And they have both the ATR 42 and the ATR 72 uh, in their fleet. And just announced today, actually, Charleston service on the ATR 72 from Orlando, Tampa, and Fort Lauderdale. Cool. Um, and also not quite announced, but they've published a bunch of filings to the DOTs. Um, so it's vaguely announced that they're bringing the ATRs down into the Caribbean and expanding to the 72 and a bunch of routes down there. So it'll be interesting to see that like, there is some prop growth happening, certainly, um, but it's not in the main line. It's not in the big carriers. And even where, right, like United finally, not finally, United, I think probably had to because of pilot reasons, just didn't have enough pilots available, had to shut down their... Uh, Q400 fleet. And I don't know. I don't think that's coming back. But like I said, it is a cycle. I mean, did we ever expect Q400s to come in at all when we were 135s and 145s? 
no. <laughs> exactly. Um, as, especially the part where uh, the way the reason they announced it was like, oh, we can use the cross one runway at Newark and it won't affect the flows. And everybody was like, yes, it will. Huh? What are you guys crazy? And then it turns out that yes, it would. And huh, are they crazy? Um, but they also had a bunch based out of Denver for a long time. Yeah. Longer than Newark, actually. Yeah, I mean, but you know, they also had like Great Lakes out of Denver that they put out yeah. of, or they went out of business because no pilots. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I mean, we'll see, right? There, there's, I think, there's always a possibility, but there's some flexibility to the props that the jets don't always have. It'll be interesting. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I guess the one thing I'd say is the props. Using the props, you really do end up limited on stage length if you're not crazy. Like even Porter's efforts to bring them from Toronto, uh, yeah, Toronto all the way down to where is it, Myrtle Beach. Yes, uh, which was very, very, very long time on the uh, Q400 uh, proved to not be such a great idea. Just, you know, on the one hand, over short stage lengths, the slower cruise speed doesn't matter. But, you know, you get up above an hour or so of flight time and, you know, four or five hundred miles and it starts to show up pretty quick. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I would say no more than 90 minutes. Like I did a bunch of flights on Newark Raleigh on the 400s and it was always great. It was easy. Um and I honestly enjoyed it, which I didn't think I'd really say that of a Q400, but I did. I, I mean, I, yeah, good on you. Huh? I like the Fokker 50 these days. So. Yeah, if we're going to do props, let's go old school. Okay, we'll go old school. Well, we, I mean, we could go find some Cessnas on uh, Cape. Oh, no, not for long. They got the Technum. I know, that's whatever. why I gonna... get out there and uh, get them all you can. Yeah, I think we got a little while left on the Cessnas, but we'll see. Anyway, alrighty, I'm calling it there. Um, <laughs> that works because yeah. Otherwise, we're just going to keep rambling, and this is uh, a long, long path we go down. Anywho, uh, to our listeners, thanks so much uh, for joining us once again. You can find us on Twitter at dots lines or at more dots more lines dot com on the interwebs. Uh, we are on Patreon if you want to, you know, give us a little extra beer money to fuel these ridiculous rants that we go on. And other than that, have a great trip. Take care.